Do you have what it takes to be the driver in the world? Well, let's find out with Carmageddon this week on the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 69 of the Upper Memory Block Podcast. I'm your host, Joe, back with you once again to talk about a game from the Dawson pre-Windows XP era. So uh, I've been having a lot of fun as of late, uh, I guess, last weekend. The show probably was scheduled to come out last weekend, but I was away on my last uh, ski trip of the season, uh, and it was also my birthday. So uh, double double whammy last weekend, so that was a lot of fun. We... Uh, we went out to Montremblant in Quebec, and uh, despite the fact that it was like March twentieth to twenty third, while we were that we were there, um, it felt like early February. I mean, it was it, we got fifteen centimeters of snow. We got you know it was like minus twenty Celsius. Uh, not sure what that is. Oh, sorry, yeah, it was minus twenty Celsius and minus two Fahrenheit uh at the top of the mountain on sunday and so you know it, it felt like the dead of winter which uh if you're out skiing is great um you know if you're doing anything else it sucks but uh you know i'll take it uh went out for a nice dinner had good time uh you know hung out with uh with my wife's cousin and he's a lot of fun so uh yeah great weekend last weekend and uh i also had a lot of fun prepping for uh for this show over the week and uh we're here and it's warm again easter's on the weekend so i'm going down to montreal this weekend to uh to see my parents and my brother and my nephew and and all kinds of crazy stuff so uh super busy but uh we got to do a show so let's get right to it lots to talk about about this week's topic first things first though we got a couple of emails Uh, the first one comes from father beast and he writes Since I just heard your guest appearance on the Space Game Junkie podcast, I thought it time to give you my results on my continuing quest for uh, another awesome podcast like the Upper Memory Block. As I said before, my problem seems to be that most retro gaming podcasts seem to focus on console games, while most PC gaming podcasts seem to focus on current games. A PC gaming podcast which focuses on classic games is exceedingly rare. Still, I have been cherry-picking these other podcasts for episode which would be of interest to me and my fellow blockers. The Space Game Junkie podcast, which you were just on, has episodes which focus on TIE Fighter, X-Wing vs. TIE Fighter, X-Wing Alliance, Star Trek games, and LucasArts history. Three Moves Ahead is a strategy podcast usually concerning modern games, but has episodes focused on Simtex, XCOM, Alpha Centauri, and the rebooted XCOM. Then I went looking on my own. Square Waves FM has been promoted by Trolls, the Space Quest historian, in his tweets for some time, but uh, I thought it was uh, a music-focused podcast by the title. Not so. It's a roundtable discussion that sounds like a cross between Backseat Designers and the DOS Nostalgia podcast. Retronauts was mentioned on Watch Out for Fireballs as having done an episode on Maniac Mansion. I didn't find that one, but they do have episodes covering Ultima, Quake, Baldur's Gate, Another World, and Planescape Torment. Uh, The Classic Gaming podcast is a roundtable where they talk about whatever old games they've played lately. They freely mix PC and console games, and almost every episode has discussion of some game blockers might be interested in if you can wade through the rest of it. Well-Versed in the Classics is a retro gaming podcast which separated its console and PC shows. It pod-faded in 2012, but managed to put out six PC episodes before then. 
Finally, I found the perfect podcast. Almost just like the upper memory block, Stay Forever is a podcast which focuses on uh, classic PC games. Uh, They get their title from uh, the spoken intro to an old Commodore 64 game, Impossible Mission, which says, Another visitor. Stay a while. Stay forever. Uh, they are about there are about forty episodes in, or they are about forty episodes in, and have covered many games which have been covered on the Upper Memory Block. Some of the games which uh, they have done have not yet been done by the Upper Memory Block, and some of those are Ultima, Civilization, Planescape Torment, Day of the Tentacle, Master of Magic, Zork, System Shock, Baldur's Gate, Space Hulk, Commander Keen, and Elite. And that's only some of them. Who? In short, Stay Forever is the perfect podcast to go alongside the Upper Memory Block. It's uh, what I have been looking for. Now, there's only one problem with it. It's in German, and I don't speak or understand German. Maybe I should learn. Moving on uh, is a piece of news uh, I don't know if you know about. Forge at ForgeGame.com is a fan-made sequel to Loom, uh, which you've covered back in episode 11. This was about the adventures of Rusty Nailbender, a character from Loom in the Guild of Blacksmiths. Chapter 1, which is kind of a demo, is available for download. Uh, It looks like uh, production on this project may be kind of stalled, but I'm enjoying the bit of game I have. Anyway, keep on making the show as I love it, if you can't tell. I'll be back with more when I have more, or when you cover another game that I've played, Father Beast. Well, thank you again for those those great comments, um, you know, and the great suggestions. Uh, you know, <laughs> obviously, uh, I don't I don't speak German either, unfortunately, but uh, well, you know, Stay Forever sounds like a, a really cool game, a really cool podcast. And uh, you know, I've been hearing a lot more about Watch Out for Fireballs. I'm definitely going to have to go and check it out. Uh, you know, I keep hearing good things about them. And, uh, of course, backseat designers, I'm a huge, huge backseat designers or not backseat design. I'm a huge backseat designers fan, but, uh, sorry, square waves FM. I'm a huge square waves FM, uh, fan. I actually sent voicemails into, I think the first two episodes and I've been meaning to send in more. And, uh, I actually got to talk to those boys and, and see if they'll have me on one of these days. And, uh, I just got to figure out something interesting to, to talk about. So, uh, yeah, great stuff there. And uh, let me just roll through here, see if I missed anything. And, oh, yes, especially thank you to uh, Brian, the Space Game Junkie, for having me on his show and letting me prattle on about uh, TIE Fighter. If you like new and old uh, space games, space simulators, space strategy, space 4X, space you know RTS-type games, check out the Space Game, space game Junkie podcast. I was on, I can't remember what episode number, but just roll back. It's what, the one about TIE Fighter. And the one about that before that was X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. So a lot of great uh, Star Wars and LucasArts kind of chatting there. And we talked about Star Wars books and all kinds of other stuff. So yeah, go check out Brian uh, at the Space Game Junkie podcast. He also gets a lot of interviews with devs and, and really great stuff. So yeah, great one there. Next, we have a short note from Elima. And she writes, Hello, Joe and fellow blockers. I don't have much to contribute to this show since my experience with Carmageddon is almost non-existent. Uh, The app was free on the iPad at one point, but the controls were clunky, and to be honest, racing games aren't really my thing. But I definitely wanted to tell you I adored the Grim Fandango show. It was simply awesome. Keep up the good work. I look forward to every episode. Block on, Elima slash Emily. Thanks, Elima. I knew uh, knew you'd get a kick out of uh, the Grim Fandango show being the, uh, the big, generally big adventure gaming and specifically LucasArts adventure gaming fan that you are. So thanks. Uh, thanks for that. I know, uh, got a lot of good feedback on the Grim Fandango show. I had tons of fun covering that game. I love, as you may well know at this point, I love LucasArts. I love their games and, uh, you know, they were truly a, a special company, but, uh, you know, Disney, I guess we haven't seen anything really come out yet, but they're not doing half bad considering the, uh, the attention they've been giving to, uh, 
to the older LucasArts games and uh, the opportunities they've been giving, at the very least, to Tim Schafer uh, to uh, to get them back out uh, to to us and uh, and to a new generation. Finally, we have an email, or an email, even better, we have a voicemail from Joel. So let's listen to what Joel has to say. Hey Joe, this is Joel Halsey, new patron member. Wanted to send you a voice message to my new dog, Joe Matt Mastry Joe Pepperoni. No, Joe Matt Joe Mast J Dog. J Dog. That's it. J Dog now. Been listening to all your episodes. They rock the house. Um, you got all of, uh, or at least a lot of the really good ones gone, like the the Monkey Island and Grim Fandango, your more recent one, and one of my all-time favorites, Red Baron. That's the first episode of yours I actually listened to. I jumped ahead and listened to Red Baron. Now I have a suggestion for you. I don't know if you ever were a member of the Amiga family. I... I became one of the unwashed masses for a while and bought a Commodore Amiga 2000 and the one of my favorite games of all time is an Amiga game Wings. Now I don't know if you know it but they came out with a remastered version of Wings that has the same music and whatnot it's on Steam. Um, I recommend it highly and for a kind of an arcade World War One flight sim you cannot go wrong with Wings give it a look-see. Good job! Well, thank you, Joel. And yeah, my last name is hard to say, so don't worry about it. Uh, but yeah, Wings, um, you know, I, I was not ever uh, an Amiga owner myself. I had a family friend that had a Commodore 64, so uh, I played a lot of those games, but uh, the Amiga sort of passed me by. But, uh, you know, it, it, it may not hurt. I know I generally focus on DOS type stuff, but uh, it might be interesting to throw in an Amiga title every once in a while, something that was like Amiga exclusive or something that was like, more known on the Amiga, and then if there was a DOS version, maybe talk about that. So, uh, you know, I'm going to put that on my list, and I'm going to check it out, because uh, frankly, again, I know very little to to nothing about the Amiga, and I know a lot of you guys were Amiga owners. I know a lot of you guys played, you know, LucasArts games and, and like, Wing Commander and all that kind of stuff on the uh, on the Amiga. So, uh, you know, it may, bear a, uh, it may bear a look. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... So, this week, we're getting to another one of those games that was on my list of shame until literally, like right now, Carmageddon. So, Carmageddon is a series of three games, uh, most of which were developed, or two out of two-thirds of which, were developed by Stainless Games and published by SCI. Uh, The first game, Carmageddon, was released in the year 1997. So, let's talk genre. Carmageddon is uh, is basically the definition of a vehicular combat game. Now, we've seen one other of these back in episode 32 when I talked about Interstate 76. So a vehicular combat game generally places you, the player, in control of, well, you guessed it, a vehicle. Now, with that vehicle, you're tasked with completing some number of goals. Now, this is where the huge variety comes in. It's kind of in the combination of what those goals are and what methods or tools you are provided with to complete them. You know, goals could be as, as simple as, as winning a race. 
And uh, they can span all the way up to full story-driven, mission-based objectives with branching paths and changing priorities and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Also, the nature of your vehicle has a major impact on how you accomplish those goals. Uh, you know, a small, fast car gives you a different set of options versus a tank or a mech or something like that. Also, you know, your vehicle may be equipped with ranged weapons. It may be equipped with no weapons at all. You might not even have to engage in violence, though I guess uh, as a vehicular combat game, uh, that's generally required. You know, but, you know, if you don't have anything to shoot, your vehicle itself can be used as a weapon, um, and we're going to see how that works pretty soon. So most vehicular combat games also have some mechanism for upgrading or swapping out your vehicle. Now, this could be via direct rewards, like you complete this mission and you get a better car. Uh, it could be via money. It could be via salvage or even uh, capturing better vehicles. Uh, this creates a progression and allows for more variety in, in gameplay. I bet that hurt. So let's get down to it and talk Carmageddon. At this point, um, I usually discuss the story. Well, as you may suspect from a game called Carmageddon, there really isn't much of a story here. Uh, Carmageddon is a free-for-all demolition derby slash race. That's basically the extent of the backstory you're given in the original game. Now, the game's intro focuses on a group of futuristic and pretty menacing-looking cars getting ready to race. Uh, we soon realize that this is any, isn't any regular auto sport, though. This isn't like NASCAR or F1 or something like that. Uh, the announcer at the start of the race actually quotes a line recorded in uh, the ancient history of the Roman Empire, which, uh, if you're not into uh, ancient history, you may recognize from the movie Gladiator. So the cars covered in spikes, blades, drills, and other nasty-looking stuff then take off, mowing down the guy holding the start flag in the process and, you know, killing him. So this is what we gather, you know, from this. We sort of gather that it's it's the future. The world seems to be a pretty crappy place, and these racers are out to make some cash in exchange for mayhem, death, and destruction of both uh, the other racers, of property, and, of course, any innocent people that uh, that happen to get in their way. However, as we're going to get to in the dev story, there was some controversy around this game with regard to violence. In response to this, censored versions of the game were released, which uh, tell us a little bit more about the world and uh, make some requisite changes to justify a lot of the destruction. The year is 2028. Solar flares have contaminated the atmosphere, turning 80% of the world's population into wandering crowds of evil zombies. In this era of peace, where weapons are a forgotten problem of the past, mankind has only one option. To defend society as we know it, in cars. All pedestrians have been cleared from the streets. Carmageddon is our only hope. So, in this version, it's the year 2028, and people who are wandering the track are actually zombies, so, you know, it's a bit less horrible to uh, to murder them. Uh, the zombie thing is really the only difference in the two versions, so, you know, go with whatever backstory you want to. So, now that the cursory story is out of the way, let's get down to it. Uh, the thing that makes Carmageddon special is absolutely 
the gameplay. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here. Uh, so you take on the role of, of a new driver in, uh, I guess, what you can call the Carmageddon Racing Series. Uh, if you choose the male avatar, your default name is Max Damage, and you drive the Red Eagle. Now, the Eagle is sort of the flagship car uh, of the Carmageddon series, and both Max and it appear in every game that comes after this one. Uh, the Eagle is a tough car that's moderately quick, but is really designed for slamming into other opponents. Uh, the Eagle weighs 1.1 tons, it does 0-60 to 60 in 4.01 seconds, and it's got a top speed of 200 miles per hour. Now, your other option uh, is the female avatar, with a default name of Diana. That's D-I-E space Anna. So not Diana, but Di-Anna. Uh, she drives the Yellow Hawk. Now, as you may have guessed, since Diana is a girl, uh, they went the predictable route of making her car a bit more ladylike. Uh, you know, it's faster and lighter than the Eagle, more suited to mowing down pedestrians and uh, to racing, as opposed to destroying other cars. Uh, the Hawk weighs in at 0.8 tons, does 0 to 60 in 3.15 seconds, and hits a top speed of 250 miles per hour. So aside from Max and Anna, uh, there's a fairly large cast of characters. Actually, there's 22 others after uh, the two you have an option of choosing for a total of 24 drivers. Uh, some combination of these drivers form the starting grid of, uh, of each race you enter. Now, they each drive a different car, and uh, they all have different driving styles. However, they all generally seem to have the same goal, which is to take you out. For example, we've got Vlad's Dragster, which weighs a mere one ton and can hit 60 miles per hour in 2.2 seconds with a top speed of 420 miles per hour. Uh, you know, he's pretty easy to kill if you can catch up to him. The major downfall of this car is that it doesn't turn very well, or actually really at all, if it's moving at any speed. On the heavier end, Don Dumpster is a disgruntled municipal worker who rolls around in an armored dump truck. Now, that truck is big and slow, but it'll crush you right quick if he can catch up to you. Uh, Screwy Louie drives a monster truck with a massive drill on the front. The brothers Grimm twill around in a pretty quick-moving uh, hot rod hearse. Uh, really, if you've ever seen the Hanna-Barbera cartoon Wacky Races, it's sort of a really violent and bloody version of, uh, of that. You know, stereotypically odd drivers and crazy vehicles doing crazy stuff to win the race. Uh, the only difference is that in Wacky Races, most of the people are good guys. Here, everyone, even you lie, cheat, and kill to win the race. So now that we have a bit of a handle on the who and the what, let's focus on the where and the how. So your goal as a racer is to work your way up Carmageddon's ranking system. You begin the game in 99th place, and your whole reason for existence is to hit that number one spot. How do you do this? Why, by racing, of course. Uh, you, your rank can increase from zero to five steps in a single race based on how many credits you earn, you know, kind of during the competition. So let's get to it. You're a newbie at rank 99 and you enter your first race. Uh, since we only have our starter car, the car selection screen is pretty meaningless. Uh, we then move on to the grid selection screen. Now here we see the starting grid for the race. Uh, you actually do have a little bit of control over where you are in the starting grid. Uh, you can swap places with anyone who is the same or lower rank than you. Realistically, though, where you start has very little bearing on uh, on your performance during the race. So we begin with a countdown to one, and boom, we're off. Uh, as I keep saying, this isn't any normal race. Uh, first thing you'll notice is, uh, is you don't have a position. Well, that's because your position doesn't actually matter. Uh, the second thing you'll notice is that these cars don't really handle very well. You know, that's probably a function of the fact that they're built like tanks, uh, one thing about this, though, is that while they do handle like crap, 
they actually handle fairly realistically. Now that's because Carmageddon is one of the first 3D games to feature a fully realized physics engine. Sure, your cars are much more resilient than uh, real-life cars would be, but they handle and they react in the way you'd expect a car to react when it gets smashed into a wall at 120 miles an hour. This was actually really groundbreaking at the time. Now, there's three ways to win any race in Carmageddon, and each method sort of has its own appeal. Well, first, there's kind of the boring way. Each track has a certain number of checkpoints and a certain number of laps. Cross each checkpoint in order the requisite number of times, and you win the race. In fact, no one will even be competing with you on this goal. That is, no other racers will cross the checkpoints before you do. Hitting the checkpoints might be the way to go if you've got a faster, more fragile car. It's also the way to make the least amount of credits per race. Remember, this is Carmageddon. This is not a racing game. Another challenge with uh, trying to play the game as a pure racer is the timer. Now, depending on your difficulty level, each race starts with a certain amount of time on the clock. Even on easy, this amount of time really isn't enough to finish the race. Uh, you need to get bonus time. How do you do that? Well, it's actually linked to uh, the other two ways to win. First, you can waste all the other racers. Now, wasting is exactly what you probably think it is. It's basically damaging your competitors beyond repair. Uh, to do this, you can either smash into them directly with your car, you can cause them to hit things in the environment, including other cars, buildings, lampposts, trees, whatever. Also, you can push them off cliffs, bridges, precipices, and, uh, and other high places like that. Now, whenever you make damaging contact with another racer, you get a credit bonus and uh, a small time bonus. So the more you hit, the more time you get to continue hitting and the more money you make. Once you actually waste someone, their car catches on fire and uh, might even leave an oil slick on the ground. Uh, you also get a major time bonus, something to the effect of four minutes. So even if you're not going for a waste everyone victory, uh, it doesn't hurt to waste one or two opponents just for the time and money bonus. Now the other way to win, and also the other way to get yourself bonus money in time, is to take out pedestrians. Now hitting a single pedestrian, or ped as uh, they're affectionately known, Gets you some bonus time, like 5 to 8 seconds, and uh, and some bonus credits, around 100 to 150 credits. Now, the most time-consuming and challenging way to win a race is to take out all the pedestrians in an entire level. Now, the reason this is tough is because A, the levels are really big, and B, there are a lot of pedestrians in them. I mean, a normal level can have something like 500 to 800 pedestrians. Uh, you know, they usually hang around a level on their own or in groups until you or the other racers whip around the track towards them. Then, when they see you coming, they scream and they scatter. <laughs> yeah, sort of like uh, like that. So finding those few remaining peds at the end of a race can really burn up your timer and be a bit of a challenge. Of course, we're not just smashing here. Now, Carmageddon is an art, and art should be appreciated. You can get a number of bonuses for being, shall we say, creative. Uh, for example, if you hit another racer head-on, you get a head-on bonus. If you get launched into the air and somehow land the car on its wheels after spinning, you'll benefit from a cunning stunt bonus. There are even more bonuses for taking out pets. Uh, combo bonuses are from taking out, you know, a whole bunch of pets in a row, two to five in, uh, in the original game. Uh, artistic impression is a bonus awarded for killing creatively, such as landing on a pedestrian upside down or on landing from a jump. Extra style is awarded if you hit a ped with uh, the side or the back of your car. 
pile drivers for smashing a pedestrian between your car and a solid object, splatter bonuses awarded when you severely sever a pedestrian, which is usually uh, happening because you, uh, you hit them with a lot of speed. Suffice it to say, the game encourages you to have fun with, uh, with your mayhem. Now, the credits you earn can be used to repair your car on the fly within a race, or to, uh, to recover yourself after being uh, ejected from the course or otherwise uh, being rendered unmovable, such as being flipped onto your side or uh, upside down. Now, the only two ways to lose a race are uh, to be wasted yourself or to run out of money completely. Uh, when you win a race, your car's auto-repaired for free and uh, you can use your profit to uh, buy upgrades at the parts shop. Uh, these upgrades can increase your car's engine power, armor, or uh, offensive ability. Also, as you progress through the races, uh, you'll have the opportunity to steal other racers' cars. Uh, what this means is that if a car is marked as stealable, you'll see that on the grid, on the starting grid screen, and uh, you waste that car. It will be recovered, auto-repaired, and put in your garage to be made available for you to drive. <sighs> wow. So, uh, you know, there's a lot to say about this game, even though the gameplay comes across as, as pretty deceptively simple. You know, another obstacle that shows up in races are, uh, are the police. Now, the cops drive uh, massively powerful squad cars that uh, they use to try and take you out of the race. So the police can be destroyed, but uh, it's definitely a challenge, and they don't actually count as a wasted opponent. So really, when you're doing it, you're sort of wasting time. Carmageddon also has a multiplayer mode, which is playable via IPX network. Uh, up to six players can compete in seven game modes. Now, these modes range from your standard kind of last man standing deathmatch to uh, to checkpoint elimination races, uh, over to pedestrian killing competitions. I mean, it's, it's really fun. Uh, Trolls, Amirate Akago, Ben Chandler, and I actually got together to play a bit of multiplayer, I guess, a little over a week ago. And, uh, <laughs> you know, while we had fun... Uh, I think trying to play with players from North America, Europe, and Australia uh, was a bit more than the game's uh, reputably crappy netcode could, could handle. We had major lag, but it was actually a pretty, pretty cool experience. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... Okay, tech focus time. Now, according to the game manual, Carmageddon required the following system to run. Uh, an Intel Pentium 75 megahertz, 32 megs of RAM, MS-DOS 6.2 or above, 20 megs of hard drive space, VGA or Super VGA graphics, a Sound Blaster or compatible sound card, and a quad speed CD-ROM. We're getting into quad speed days here. No more doubles for us. Now, the game also supported a variety of peripherals. Uh, at a base, you controlled the game with, uh, with the keyboard, which is what I did. Uh, aside from that, you could use the mouse. I'm not quite sure how well that would work, but uh, hey, why not? Uh, you could also use a joystick, a gamepad, or even a steering wheel. Now, Carmageddon was created using the Brender engine. Now, Brender, which is B 
Render, uh, is short for Blazing Renderer and was a game engine created by British company Argonaut Games. Now, Argonaut created very well-known games such as Star Glider for the Amiga and worked along with Nintendo on a project called Nest Glider, which was actually the prototype for a little game we may all recognize called Star Fox. Now, Brender was Argonaut's development toolkit and 3D engine for building PC games. Uh, Argonaut licensed Brender out to, uh, to other developers for use and uh, powered games such as FX Fighter, Independence War, and of course, Carmageddon. Uh, the engine supports Intel's new MMX, or Multimedia Extensions Toolkit, which, uh, which came out with, uh, with early Pentiums. Now, interestingly, well, most of us do think, or at least I think, that, uh, that MMX stands for Multimedia Extensions, or there's actually a few other things people think it stands for. Uh, it turns out that Intel sort of retconned that after the fact. Uh, initially, MMX was a meaningless acronym that uh, marketing thought sounded sexy. Now, I'm not going to go into a ton of detail, because eh, this stuff gets a little complicated. Uh, frankly, I don't understand it at all. But uh, basically, MMX consisted of uh, an additional set of eight uh, memory registers reserved for use by the MMX instruction set. Now, if you get down to, uh, to system and processor design, you'll learn that a memory register is a very small memory area that is local to a computer's processor. It's very small and it's very fast. And uh, it's generally only accessible by, uh, by a few entities. First of all, the CPU, because it wouldn't be very helpful if the processor couldn't get to it. And uh, aside from that, really, the operating system and a variety of low-level languages like Assembler uh, could write to it. As I learned back in university, memory registers are dangerous things to work with, uh, especially uh, the base system registers. So not, maybe not so much these MMX registers, but the AX, BX, CX, DX uh, system registers, at least on Intel CPUs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it could definitely be a little hairy. Uh, if you overwrite the wrong register at the wrong time, uh, you basically bork your OS, uh, at least, which will at least require a hard reboot of your system. Uh, suffice it to say, the assembler labs back when I was in school actually network booted. So every time you turned it on, uh, the machine would download a fresh OS image every time you restarted it because uh, idiot computer science students like me had no clue what we were doing with this stuff. Uh, so these MMX registers, which are, are actually just a remapping of existing floating point registers, were 64-bit and uh, they could process either a single 64-bit value or what is known as a packed data type. So Instead of only putting one 64-bit value into the register, uh, you could pack it with any combination. You could pack it with two 32-bit values, four 16-bit values. Now, the advantage here is, is getting data closer to the CPU, thereby bypassing accesses to conventional memory, which, uh, which is orders of magnitude slower than register memory, or uh, worse than that, accesses to system RAM, which are even slower than accesses to conventional memory, and the most horrible and the most awful thing on earth accesses to disk which are basically the slowest thing possible now these registers were used by some games to uh, to speed up various integer operations including things like digital signal processing and some graphics rendering eventually most of this work was offloaded to dedicated video hardware but you know mmx was pretty cool at the time i remember it being a big deal it's the pentium pro with mmx oh my god now one more important thing to discuss here of course is the game's music. Now, unlike many games we discuss, Carmageddon didn't primarily, there was a composer that did some audio tracks, which are quite good, but uh, the main kind of thrust of the music in this game 
was uh, from a metal band called Fear Factory. And uh, so what they basically did was uh, they got Fear Factory to create some instrumental-only versions of songs from their, you know, kind of uh, identity-defining album, Demanufacture. Uh, the track Zero Signal was used as the title track to the game. Uh, Fear Factory is kind of industrial metal. I know trolls, I'm probably getting this all wrong and you're going to get mad at me. But, uh, you know, their sound would fit amazingly well with Carmageddon's violent, bloody, and dystopian ethic. Uh, I can't imagine having any other music fitting this game better. I'm also confident and introduced a generation of kids to metal in its various forms, probably much to their uh, parents' chagrin. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... All right, so Carmageddon was developed by Stainless Games. Uh, Stainless Games was founded by Patrick Buckland and Neil Barnden in uh, 1994. Now, Buckland grew up on the Isle of Wight. Uh, this is an island on the English Channel, which, uh, as you know, if we know our geography, that's the body of water which separates... England and France. I'm sure my British listeners can tell us more about it if there's anything kind of notable to say about the Isle of Wight. So uh, Patrick's first experience with games came when he was in school. In 1979, at the age of 15, he got his hands on an Apple II. Now, after playing Lemonade and Breakout that came bundled with the system, he thought the games could be made a bit more interesting, so he started modifying them. Because, hey, you know what? You could do that at the time. The source code of the game was available on the system. Eventually, after mucking around and doing a bunch of other stuff, he finished a full original game called Liberator. And he then proceeded to become a freelance programmer, taking on tasks for the Apple II and the Mac in his spare time. Uh, this was all around 1981, and uh, he would continue doing this kind of uh, as, as his career. So uh, because of this freelancing, he eventually got the chance to work on a shareware game called Crystal Raider. Uh, it was popular, and in 1987, he was able to write a follow-up full retail game called Crystal Quest, which was published by uh, Cassidy and Green. Now, this game was also quite successful, and you know his cachet was kind of growing. And uh, eventually, uh, Buckland and a school friend of his, Neil Barnden, who had also become kind of an experienced game designer and an artist... Uh, got together to form their own company, which they named Stainless Software. And this was kind of around 19, late 1993. Uh, they started off as, as subcontractors, doing work for Argonaut Software on, uh, on their 3D engine, Brender. On top of this, they also developed uh, you know, medical multimedia titles for Time Mirror Group. And nothing like incredible, nothing like uh, genre-defining or like making them you know, the, the, the greatest company in the world. So, you know, as with any game company they they didn't want to just do subcontractor work it's kind of like the grunt work that you do to make you know pay the bills you know what they really wanted to do was make their own game now around the same time they formed the company the two were discussing racing games Uh, they commented that you know as much as they enjoyed racing at a certain point in every racing game you just start to kind of get fed up and you want to turn the car around and you want to smash into the other competitors right just having a bad day you want to pull the handbrake turn around and hit everyone so this led them to the idea of doing a a sort of 
banger racing slash demolition derby type game. Now, banger racing is not really something that I had heard about officially, even though I'm a little casual racing fan. Uh, it's something that's really quite popular in Europe and in the US it has different names. Uh, but basically, a banger race is uh, where a bunch of older cars race around a generally oval or maybe a figure eight track uh, for a given number of laps. Now, because these are older, kind of just regular street production cars and they're only kind of slightly modified for racing, they're not entirely reliable. Uh, also, having the cars hit each other isn't really frowned upon. So, you know, you got a race with old cars that aren't modified very much for safety and uh, that are sort of encouraged to smash into each other to win the race. It sounds like fun, right? So, Bucklet and, uh, and Barndon uh, built themselves a rough demo of their game using the Brender engine because, you know, they knew it, so why the hell not? Uh, they then started shopping it around. Now, most of the big publishers didn't bite until they showed it to Sales Curve Interactive, or SCI. Now, SCI liked the idea of the game, but they wanted some guarantees that the game would sell. Now, one of the ways to do this is uh, was to require Stainless to build the game under some movie license. You know, this way fans of the film would be compelled to buy the game and, you know, it would kind of help them out. So their first thought was to build a Demolition Derby type game under the Mad Max license. I mean, Mad Max had all the elements they were looking for. It was a brutal world, crazy muscle cars, violence, Mel Gibson. Uh, well, despite their good intentions, it turned out to be exceedingly difficult to figure out who actually owned the rights to Mad Max. So unfortunately, that idea had to be abandoned. Their next idea was a game based on the 1975 film Death Race 2000 starring David Carradine. In fact, it turned out that a sequel called Death Race 2020 was actually in the works. I mean, this was perfect. They could market the game along with the new movie. It would be great. They went ahead building out the game. You know, the, the, the executable was named deathrace.exe. Uh, they borrowed heavily from the Death Race universe to kind of, you know, build out their stuff because, hey, it's a licensed game. Uh, well, <laughs> unfortunately, as it turns out, Death Race 2020 never happened. I mean, it did end up happening in 95 as a comic book series, but the movie never came out. The game was already in development, and, uh, you know, SCI would have actually been within its rights to, to mm. kind of can the project, but uh, they liked the way the game was turning out. So, you know, they let Stainless keep going, and uh, they said, you know what, just develop your own IP. Like, at this point, we tried, and it's not happening, so make something up. So they named their new license-free game Carmageddon, which was, of course, a, a mashing together, a portmanteau, if you will, of, uh, of the words Cars and Armageddon. Very creative. So the young uh, eight-person team, at least initially eight-person team, uh, built a game, released it, and, and it was an instant hit. I mean, the game's physics, the graphics, the action, and, and the all-out violence were all a big hit with gamers. However, as I sort of insinuated at the beginning... Uh, the violence was not a big hit with both parents and government regulatory agencies. Uh, the game caused a huge stir, uh, specifically the goal of mowing down pedestrians for a monetary reward. In fact, this was a change that was made late in the game's development. You know, while it was being built under the Death Race license, you would actually lose points for hitting pedestrians. Uh, when Stainless moved to their own IP, Rob Henderson, who uh, was kind of one of their contacts in, in SCI, decided they'd flip this around since, uh, you know, they didn't have a movie studio to answer to, so let's go all the way. So in an effort to, uh, to gain publicity for the game, 
SCI submitted Carmageddon to the British Board of Film Classification, which is, you know, sort of the British version of the MPAA. They, they rate movies. Now, they did this even though there was actually no full motion video in the game, and that was would really be the only reason they would be required to submit the game for rating. So they were kind of aiming to get an 18 rating to say, ooh, it's a bad game, and it's scary, and your kids are going to want it, and, you know, hype, hype, hype. Well, <laughs> this didn't work out as planned. Uh, the BBFC refused to rate the game at all unless all the blood and gore were were removed. Now, this was quickly picked up by the British press, which started printing articles about how the game would destroy the youth of Britain and, you know, parents groups and, you know, moral groups and all that stuff lobbied to have the game completely banned, even going to court over it. So after a short legal battle with, uh, with a pretty high-profile uh, British barrister, I believe that's how the British say lawyer, uh... They came to a compromise. So the BBFC said that the running down of humans was unacceptable. So if the pedestrians were not human, everything would be okay. So the humans and cows and other things like that were replaced by zombies that bled green blood instead of bleeding red blood. In Germany, they went even farther and replaced the humans with, uh, with robots that bled oil. Now, with this decision, the modified game was released and an appeal to, uh, to the legal decision was made. Uh, it took 10 months, which is actually probably pretty quick. But uh, soon the original game, complete with humans and red blood and cows, was, uh, was also allowed in stores. Though, because we geeks who are who we are, even at that time, uh, long before that 10 months was up, a blood patch kind of made its way onto uh, bulletin boards and the fledgling uh, internet. Though the source of the files was uh, initially hidden, it was pretty soon revealed that uh, it was actually leaked by, by the developers. So despite all this controversy, or maybe because of all this controversy, we ended up with Carmageddon 2, Carpocalypse Now in 1998. Uh, the sequel featured much of the same action, uh, though you would actually unlock 10 sets of standard races by performing an objective-based mission kind of every once in a while. Now, one of the big changes technologically was that the car models were now fully deformable, uh, leading to more realistic car damage. In fact, your car could actually be bent in half so that only one set of wheels could touch the ground, and your car could actually even be split in half, which, uh, of course, would cause you to be wasted and uh, you'd lose the race. Uh, music of the game, uh, the game's music featured tracks from, uh, from Iron Maiden and from Sentience. Uh, the second game had an even bigger sense of humor and uh, contained references from films and TV shows such as Twin Peaks, Back to the Future, and, uh, and Blues Brothers. Again, Carmageddon 2 was, uh, was, was popular and uh, suffered the same violence restrictions as the first game, with pedestrians being replaced with zombies and robots in, uh, in a couple of markets. Now, in the year 2000, Taurus developed a Carmageddon TDR 2000. Uh, TDR sort of a kind of sideways reference to Death Race. Uh... Stainless did not work on this sequel due to issues they were having at the time with, uh, with SCI. In fact, the team at Stainless didn't even know that uh, this third Carmageddon game was in development. Uh, TDR 2000 wasn't really a big leap over the previous games, and it didn't sell nearly as well. Uh, plans for a fourth installment were in the works, but when SCI and uh, Eidos, or Eidos, I can never say the name of that company, when they merged in 2005, uh, the game was put on hold, and uh, that was the last, at that point, we had kind of heard of Carmageddon. You are listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast.
All right, so that was the last we heard of Carmageddon until 2012, at least. It turns out that Stainless Games had been working to procure the rights of their first hit, and they succeeded. This led to a Kickstarter campaign, which funded successfully, reaching its goal in only 10 days. After some inevitable delays and some additional investment, Stainless Games has recently announced that the final release date for the upcoming Carmageddon reincarnation is April 23rd, 2015. Uh, from video, the game looks like a modern take of what made the original such a hit. Uh, you can get into early access for it on Steam right now for around $30 US. So if you have any interest in, in Carmageddon or, Carm or uh, a modern take on it from the guys that made it uh, originally, check out Steam for, uh, for Carmageddon Reincarnation. So that segues nicely into where we can get the rest of the games today. Well, you can get the first two games via GOG.com, and all three games, that's Carmageddon 1, Carmageddon 2, and Carmageddon 3, sorry, TDR 2000, uh, over on Steam, along with early access to Reincarnation. On top of that, I have to very highly recommend you check out Carmageddon on both iOS and Android. Stainless took the original game, sharpened up the graphics, and added touch controls. I actually like the iOS version way better than the original PC versions. Uh, you know, the mobile versions are, are, the graphics are kind of taken up a notch, you know, sharpened for the modern devices. Uh, the touch controls are nice. And, and frankly, the gameplay is a lot more forgiving. I was able to kind of do a lot better on, uh, on my phone than uh, I was ever able to do on my PC. I, I think they may have kind of made things a touch easier. Okay, email time. In fact, we've actually only got voicemails at this point, uh, which is which is amazing. So thanks so much. Let's start off with uh, our good friend Amirai Akago and uh, see what he's got to say about Carmageddon. Take it away, sir. Joe, it's Akago. Hoo-ha! Remember how in my last voicemail I bemoaned my lack of a PC capable of running Grim Fandang Remastered? Well, that's all in the past now, because with the help of a friend and some hard-earned cash of my own, I finally managed to put together a brand new PC running Windows 7 that I can play the game on, and it is beautiful! I'm so gosh darn happy to finally have this thing and be able to do all the things that were unavailable to me in the past. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about Carmageddon. Ah, Carmageddon, Carmageddon, Carmageddon. What a game. This was another title that I first got off of a bootleg Twilight CD back in the day. Me and my brother played it on our dad's brand new Pentium 2 with its fancy pants MMX processor. And this was probably one of the better CD-RIP games that we played back then, because unlike other games, this didn't rely so heavily on voices or cutscenes. It was all about the action. And as we all know, there was plenty of that to be found in Carmageddon. Now, I've never been the biggest fan of racing games. The most you'll probably ever see me play are things like Mario Kart. What I do love, however, is any kind of game that gives me the freedom to go wherever I want and do whatever I want. Carmageddon had that in spades. You could just race around the track and follow checkpoints if you wanted, but it was so much more fun and satisfying to just go anywhere and jump off ramps and rooftops or into water and find hidden bonuses and power-ups. And all the while turning people and cows into red mush, because that's why anybody ever played this game. It was just so much fun and technically impressive as well how your car would get visibly deformed and beat up and could fly through the air and do all of these cunning stunts, as the game called them. <laughs> In short, we loved it. 
Then one year around Christmas time, me and my brother were shopping for gifts, and at a PC store we came across a boxed copy for the Carmageddon Max Pack, which contained both the original game and the Splatback expansion, so of course we picked that one up. It even came with a cool little keychain with the Carmageddon logo on it, which of course my brother immediately claimed because he was the one old enough to drive, and he still has it to this day, which kinda annoys me, but hey, what are you gonna do? Also unfortunate is that we somehow lost the game disc somewhere down the line, and I have absolutely no idea where they ever got to, so that's a damn shame. But hey, owning a copy on GOG.com is probably the next best thing. As for Carmageddon 2 Carpocalypse Now, I got that a couple of years later for Christmas as well. And it was more of the same, but so much improved with the better graphics, the power-ups and all that good stuff. And it was my introduction to the awesomeness of Iron Maiden as well, with the music tracks included in the game that really gave it a unique kind of flavor. Unfortunately, my version was the UK one, which replaced all the regular human pedestrians with zombies. And that kind of annoyed me, because hey, it's Carmageddon. You don't want things to be watered down like that. You want real carnage going on. But fortunately for me, there was a patch I got off the internet that restored the game to its regular self, so it was all good. And then I stupidly, STUPIDLY threw my copy in the trash when I downloaded the pirated version that had all the blood and gore available from the get-go, and I figured I didn't need the original anymore. <sighs> I was a stupid, STUPID kid before I learned the value of collecting. That aside, I never played TDR 2000 because of the bad reviews I read where they lambasted it for the mission-based structure and less emphasis on the freedom that made the first two games so much fun. I did, however, contribute to the Kickstarter for the new Carmageddon Reincarnation so that I'll receive a free copy of it once the full version comes out, and with my new PC all set up, I'm definitely eager to give that a try when the time comes because it looks like a definite return form. And until then, I've still got the Android version on my phone to tide me over. Anyway, that's about all I have to say about my experiences with this series, so once again, I'd just like to say, Joe, keep being amazing, and remember, you now have one minute to reach minimum safe distance. Thanks, Akago, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know what, with regard to, to throwing stuff out, we, we I think most of us have gone through that at one point, and... and I think almost all of us live to regret it. But, uh, you know, great comments. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad that uh, a lot of you guys, you included, have uh, have a lot more experience with Carmageddon than, uh, than I do. Next up, we have a voicemail from Ben Chandler, my good buddy and host of uh, co-host of the Blue Cup Tools podcast, which, uh, again, you guys should check out. It's one of my, uh, my listen to as soon as it comes out uh, things when I get the notification. So take it away, Ben. Hi Joe and my fellow blockers. I'm excited that you're doing a show on a game I loved as a kid and still love now, and I figured I owed you a voice message at the very least for all the great podcasts you've provided so far. Carmageddon is extra special to me because unlike most other driving games at the time, it wasn't linear or restrictive in its design. There are no story objectives, knockout rounds, or any of the usual types of things we associate with driving games, whether racing or otherwise. Instead, the developers built a big toy box and gave us the option to do whatever we want. The game not only facilitates a diverse range of playstyles, but encourages them with rewards for almost anything you'd want to do. Whether you want to pound your opponents until they break, race through the checkpoints as fast as possible, attempt ridiculous stunts over the edge of a cliff or a bridge, or take out the multitudes of innocent bystanders in violence and style, Carmageddon is happy to reward you for your efforts with credits. It's fun to explore and try new things because the game never tells you you're doing something wrong. No matter how dated the sound, graphics and driving physics might seem to players now, I think this approach to design still holds up to this day, and that's what makes Carmageddon so special to me. Thanks Joe for the mini show so far, and here's to many more. 
Well, thanks a lot, Ben. I mean, that's just great. And, and you know, I'm glad both both you and Akago and I'm sure, you know, the other few people that have things to say uh, have been stressing this because I, I feel like now that I look back, I haven't really stressed it enough. That's one thing that this game really does allow is is freedom. I mean, it's virtually it's not quite open world because, you know, you can't just kind of wander around and go from map to map. And, and you know, there's there you're in a race and there are specific goals to to achieve. But it really does let you do almost anything you want within the constraints of kind of the race and and the three ways to win and the and the biggest constraint being the timer. So, yeah, I'm I'm glad you guys are are doing that and and are pointing that out because it it is really one of the things aside from you know just the violence and 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 stuff like that 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 do make this game stand out. So next we've got an email from Brian. So take it away. Hey there, Joe. It's Brian, and I just wanted to leave you a really quick. A comment about Carmageddon, which is a game that I really loved and I played the heck out of as a kid, and uh, even more recently because it holds up ever so well. Such a cool, violent, open-world racing game, which is a really nice combination of factors that you don't often see in a game where the objective is to get past the finish line first. Usually you see that in a Grand Theft Auto or a more open kind of a sandbox context. So my quick comment is, because I'm sure that we're going to be speaking about those other aspects that I just mentioned, what was really kind of unique about Carmageddon was the controls. I mean, the engine was great, and uh, the frame rate was high, and it did a really good job of maintaining a bunch of NPC AI racers that you would have to compete against either by uh, beating to the finish line or by beating into submission but the controls were really kind of unique it was weird that your car was really good at going straight and really poor at turning and you had to rely so heavily on the handbrake so it's the kind of a game with such frustrating controls that if the presentation were any less compelling I probably wouldn't have given it a second glance but because it was so visceral and compelling I put lots and lots of time into it and I did get pretty good at managing to go around corners either by skidding around or by doing a few uh, 360s or by smacking into something and kind of bouncing off of it. So uh, that was just one aspect that I thought you might not otherwise mention. Love the podcast as always. Keep up the great work and uh, can't wait to the next one. And you are absolutely right, Brian. I know I, I sort of mentioned kind of that the controls were were clunky, but uh, but you really kind of hit the nail on the head and and saying, <laughs> I guess my first couple of races, I actually hadn't read the manual and I thought, you know, the whole point was to to race the race. And so, you know, race the race and and, and try and avoid being hit. But obviously that's not the case after I, I read, you know, actually how to play the game. But uh, yeah, I remember coming up to my first corner. I'm like, oh, you know, I know how to play racing games. I'm going to slow down to a reasonable speed and take this corner, you know, and basically to take a corner without using the handbrake, you pretty much have to come to a, almost a complete stop. And uh, it's not really worthwhile. And, and I do like how you mentioned that the game is very visceral. You know, it, it actually, when, when I heard you say that word, it actually made me think of Doom. You know, when I think of visceral gameplay, I think of Doom. This is sort of the Doom of, of racing games. You know, it's, 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 it's very violent. It's very bloody. It looks great. The gameplay is fast. Like you said, the frame rate is great. The AI is, is surprisingly good. And uh, yeah, so great. Great comments. Thank you so much. And now, finally, um, we've got an email, or sorry, a voicemail, in reality, more of a segment, as we're getting used to, uh, from Trolls. Now, this one's a little sweary, so, you know, I do have a tendency to warn you guys, so if you don't want to hear Trolls swear a reasonable amount, skip forward about 10 minutes, but otherwise, take it away, Trolls. Motherfucker. Carmageddon. Oh, 
I have been anxiously awaiting the day when someone, just anyone, would cover this game so I could heap my praises on it, like a 16-year-old beatnik hippie chick from the 60s waking up next to Paul McCartney. And I'm so glad it was you, Joe. So, knowing how tolerant you are of my rantings and ravings, I had no other choice but to strip naked, as per tradition, and actually put down my thoughts in writing, so I could try to cover every facet of my unadulterated infatuation with this game. So, uh, right, Carmageddon, where do I begin? Well, allow me to quote from the Carmageddon Manual, which uh, pretty much concisely and astutely exemplifies why I so dearly love this game. <clears throat> Each race has a series of checkpoints and a lap count. If you complete all the laps, then the race is over and you'll receive a time bonus. However, you don't have to take any notice of the checkpoints or laps if you don't want to. You'll notice that many of your opponents don't. There's more fun to be had by ramming other cars and mowing down the masses. You will undoubtedly notice that there is no display of your position in the race. This is because you don't have one, and it doesn't matter anyway. Your opponents will cheat at least as much as you will, and it doesn't matter one iota who gets to the finish line first, it just matters how much damage you did and how many internal organs you liberated along the way. The important thing to do is to do whatever you want to do, and to enjoy doing it. And uh, that uh, part, my little gaff at the end there, um, that right there is the best goddamn sales pitch for any game I've ever heard of. It just thoroughly cements why I get so so much enjoyment out of this game. It's irreverent, it's funny, it's freedom like you've never experienced freedom before, and above all, it's astonishingly fun to play. It's really one of those games you can pick up at any given time and have fun with, and you keep coming back to it precisely because it is such a free-spirited, no-holds-barred, do-whatever-the-fuck-you-want experience. It doesn't hold you back, it doesn't punish you or lecture you for breaking the rules of conventional racing or driving games. In fact, it has the courage and the balls to reward you for making up your own damn rules as you play. Now, as a game, Carmageddon broke all the rules and allowed you to finally have all the anarchic fun that you've always dreamed of having in what was ostensibly just another car racing game. As a concept, Carmageddon was a giant fuck you middle finger to all concepts of tradition and adherence to normal statutes of decency and morale. Morals, sorry, morals. Where other games made you play by the rules, Carmageddon had no rules except for gravity, and that was malleable at best. And whatever depraved outlandish fantasy you could throw at a car-driving game, Carmageddon made it happen. And not only that, I can't stress this enough, it rewarded you for it. It rewarded you for adhering to your base instincts of not giving a good goddamn flying fuck. Carmageddon was all joy and none of the ridiculous fuss and stress of normal car games. And uh, oh shit, I almost forgot to mention the music. Um, back before I even knew what the hell metal music was, the music on the Carmageddon CD-ROM just entranced me. I've never even heard of Fear Factory before I played Carmageddon, and I just thought it was the greatest sounding, melodic, and yet hyper-aggressive music I've ever heard. The theme song Zero Signal of their seminal album, Demanufacture, is a perfect match for the game, even without the vocals. And uh, actually, I'll probably piss off a lot of Fear Factory fans when I say this, but the Fear Factory songs on the CD-ROM hold up in their instrumental form just as good, if not better, than their original vocal versions. And 
Not only that, but the other half of the tracks on the CD that weren't Fear Factory, the uh, break BD type uh, tracks done by some dude named Lee Groves, were just stellar. The fourth track, you know, the one that plays on the beach level, is just still one of my favorite pieces of music, period. Never mind game music, just period. I used to bring the Carmageddon CD-ROM along to parties in high school, and, and I would put it on, and people would give me these funny, dirty looks, but I didn't give a shit. In fact, I even brought a cassette tape of the Carmageddon soundtrack with me when I went on my exchange student trip to the US in 1997, um, and the only reason I don't still have my Carmageddon CD is because I brought it along to a music festival and woke up the next day, and someone had taken it out of the case and stomped it into the mud. I'm sure it was an accident, but I can't be quite sure. Anyway, the soundtrack is fucking stellar, period. In fact, the first Carmageddon game is, in my mind, the perfect fucking driving game of all time. Sure, I've played a number of driving games, uh, even if they're not my area of expertise, I'm usually shit at driving games, but I have found enjoyment playing Super Mario Kart on the Super Nintendo with my grade school friend, I enjoyed playing network battles of balloon popping in wacky wheels on the PC, I thought Roll Cage was one of the finest head-to-head -head racing games ever to come out of the late uh, 90s Windows era, and Joe, you really should cover Roll Cage at some point, by the way, it will receive a similarly glorifying review from yours truly, if you should ever choose to do so, but man, nothing, and I mean nothing trumps Carmageddon. Now, you will probably notice that uh, by now I have been talking exclusively about the first Carmageddon game, and if not, then by all means let me make it absolutely perfectly clear, the first Carmageddon game is damn near perfect. Hell no, it is perfect. You know, the core mechanic of the game never changes, and even though the goal of the game is always the same, no two playthroughs are, uh, of a level are alike. The levels are monumental, they're tr truly staggering in size, and they're so full of little details and gleeful opportunities for mayhem, so there's always something new to discover. You can you know, you can drive out uh, into the water of a beachfront and just happily mow down a bunch of beach beachgoers, and you can, you can crash a funeral at a church and just run over the entire congregation, or you can uh, drive down the mine-infested trenches and just wait for your opponent cars to drive by and proceed to thoroughly demolish themselves by careening into the explosives, spinning wildly, uncontrollably into the air in a glorious display of utter destruction. And uh, thanks to a relatively well-written AI and an absolutely teeming population of pedestrians, you are never short of any steel vehicle to pummel into or anyone to relentlessly mow down in a splendid streak of blood and guts. And I say this because inevitably someone had to go and fuck things up by creating a sequel to Carmageddon, Carpocalypse Now. Okay, so the title is quite endearing, uh, but now we were in the era of gaming where 3D accelerators were the norm, and polygon NPCs were in vogue. The game just fundamentally shifted from being a celebration of undeterred irreverence to a game that suddenly started imposing rules on a philosophy of having no rules whatsoever. And that, my friends, is just bullshit. It was like being on a playground as a kid playing tag, where everyone was the hunter and the prey, and all of a sudden this asshole kid from another grade shows up and goes, hey, wouldn't it be more fun if one of us was just the hunter and the rest of you were prey, and he'd start making up all these rules and shit that just took away the spirited fun of what you were doing in the first place. No, asshole kid, it wasn't more fun that way. We were having some merry goddamn fun until you went in and fucking ruined it for everyone else. Anyway, still... Backing Carmageddon on Kickstarter meant that I got one of those things I never knew I needed until I got it. Carmageddon 
on my fucking smartphone. Are you kidding me? This is this is so fantastic. I cannot praise it enough. You try downloading it and see. For, for, for one thing, it's dirt cheap. It's um, it's it costs like uh, under a dollar US dollar, I think. Um, at least for Android, it does. And secondly, it's absolutely damn near picture perfect. And the last thing I want to mention is Carmageddon multiplayer. And this is really where the game could excel into absolute universal stardom. And to be perfectly honest, they gave it their best shot. Um, and again, I'm talking about the original Carmageddon, of course. It gave you the opportunity to play uh, straight up Mayhem or any number of inventive little mini games at your leisure with uh, pedestrians on the map and just about any amenities you could think of. But sadly, the network code itself was just atrocious. Half the time you created the game, the other players couldn't see the game. And once you were in the game, uh, the levels were so huge, you definitely needed at least three players or more for the game to even make sense. And this was before internet play was a thing. So it was IPX only, um, you know, uh, closed LAN only. And you would need a full-on LAN party of smash-worthy people for Carmageddon to even be viable for multiplayer. Um, that being said, it is still my fond hope to get Akago uh, and our friend and fellow Karma One lover Ben Chandler and our esteemed host of the show, Joe himself, into a network game and stream that motherfucker on Twitch for everyone to enjoy because damn, I mean just damn. So, um, well, that is what I have to say about Carmageddon. It is a joy to play. It's irreverent and gleeful disregard for social norms and conventions make it one of the truly only anarchic joys that you're ever going to experience in your miserable drudgery existence. Um, in, in this world where everything is about conforming and behaving and doing what you're told, Carmageddon is the perfect escape. Do yourself a favor and experience the true joys of no rules fun. Pick up Carmageddon and play. You can thank me later. Race completed! Um, as always, keep up the good work, Joe. I love you, and I'm not wearing pants, so you know that comes from the heart. And penis, but mostly from the heart. Anyway, back to you. Uh, thanks? Yeah, I'll go with thanks. <laughs> Anyways, as always, great comments, and, uh, and you know, I, I, I knew with your, uh, with your musical background being... Being what it is uh, that you'd have some good info on uh, on Fear Factory, so thanks again, and thanks to everyone who uh, who voicemailed and emailed and all that. Really, really great turnout this week. Great turnout last time too. I'm I'm really loving the uh, the interaction and and uh, the turnout on the emails. So keep them coming as always. You are listening to the Upper Podcast. So. Big question, now that everyone else has given their opinions, I'll give you mine. Does Carmageddon hold up today? Well, I said it at the beginning, but I'll confess it again. I never played this game until I chose it for this show. Why, do you ask? Well, I played Interstate 76 first, and I always sort of figured this game was mindless. You know, I-76 had a story, it had a cool aesthetic, it had guns, and and you know what? I, I wasn't wrong. This game is mindless. But that's what makes it awesome. I really enjoyed playing Carmageddon. I mean, everything just fits. The world, the cars, the music. Hell, even the somewhat crappy controls make sense. I mean, these are armored tanks more than they are cars, and, you know, they should control like crap. I love the openness of the gameplay. I mean, as long as you cause some form of havoc, 
you're doing fine. I mean, you want to race, you can race. You want to kill your competitors, go for it. You want to run the course backwards and then jump off a cliff, you can do that too. I mean, the open aspect of this game, without it actually being an open world game, you know, is, is something that you can tell the, the developers believed in very, very much. I mean, Carmageddon is one of those games you play when you're in a bad mood to blow off steam and, you know, it just kind of makes you feel good. Heck, even when I played the multiplayer and, and it didn't work for crap. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll find the, uh, the video and I'll link it in the show notes. It was basically a disaster. But despite that, I had a great time. I mean, at one point, I think I hit Ben's car. And I guess because his lag was so bad coming from Australia that my car basically just exploded on contact. Uh, even when this game does not work, it is still fun. Now, the second game's also great. I mean, it's a slightly different. And the third is, eh, you know, more of the same. So, yeah, grab it if you feel like it, though it won't really change your life. Also, as I said, this is a great time waster game. So if you've got a phone or you've got a tablet and you like driving games, the mobile version is, is really spot on. To me, it's actually the best version of the game. So... You know, check it out, and and I am very excited to see how a new game turns out. Uh, if anyone has the uh, the early access version, let me know. Drop me a line. I I'd, I'd really love to hear uh, hear what's going on with it. So that's that. Thank you to everyone for the great emails and voicemails. Super appreciated. I can't say it enough times. Uh, next time. I will be hitting up the March and early April news, and uh, then after that, we'll get back to gaming with the 1996 Activision full motion video adventure, Spycraft. Also, at some point in April, I'll be holding our next Patreon group hangout. This time, we'll be chatting about remakes and remasters. April's going to be a busy month here at the UMB cast, so, uh, so stay tuned. As always, send email or audio comments to podcast at umbcast.com. Thanks to Rick Moyer for his great audio work. You can find him over at moyermultimedia.com. Don't forget... If you enjoy this show, you can become my boss over at patreon.com slash umbcast. Uh, if you find some value from the show, please consider joining what I'm pretty sure is my 36. Wow. Current patrons. That's ridiculous. I thought I'd have like my mom giving me money, but you know, 36, you value the show enough to, uh, to give me money when, uh, when a show comes out and, uh, that's incredibly appreciated. Uh, you know, I, I set up the next goal. So if we if we hit two hundred dollars, I'm going to set up a storefront. There's going to be swag. I'll, I'll include that in the monthly giveaways, which uh, I'm going to pick for uh, the giveaway of Carmageddon in the next few shows. So yeah, I love I love you guys for for supporting the show, and uh, even those of you that just listen and send in emails and, and aren't part of the Patreon. That's that's just great too. I'm very humbled by all this attention. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, as always, you check out the show notes for this episode. This this episode. <laughs> <laughs> at umbcast.com uh, join the facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash umbcast follow the show on twitter at twitter.com slash umb show because umbcast was taken uh, and me personally at twitter.com slash billybob476 you can also find me on youtube at youtube.com slash umbcast where i put up videos of, of stuff i put up kind of a an odd one of uh carmageddon this week uh subscribe to the show on itunes stream us live at stitcher radio leave me reviews i really really like them so that is that and we will see you next time for Spycraft and also for the news here in the upper memory block. Battle control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit 
umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join.